If you will open your Bibles to Psalm 40, if you're one of, using one of the pew Bibles that is found on page 555. And as you are turning there, the question that I have for you is, are you more of a positive person or a negative person? And maybe, maybe that's too much, too much of a stretch um, because obviously there's times where we're negative and times where we're positive. So what about coming into this new year? Are you positive about it or are you negative about it? What do you expect? Well, as we read this psalm, I want you to see that there's sort of two emotions that are taking place in David. There is the one of positivity and the one of pleading, of, of, of sort of this, hey, my life isn't going as great as it should be. So let us read Psalm 40 and see it as a psalm of thankfulness and a psalm of pleading. This is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us that no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have been pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all those who t seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that going into another year that sometimes there are expectations where we say, it, it is going to get better. And for some of us, we say, it will probably stay the same. Or maybe it will even get worse. We pray as we read your word and look at this psalm that we can see that both can be held at the same time that both can be viewed, that both can be said, you are a great and good God. You have rescued us. And at the same time, we say, continue to rescue us, continue to save us, continue to move us forward, continue to put a song of praise on our lips. Let us look at your word and be able to have hearts full of joy and even at the same time, hearts full of pleading to know you more. In your name, amen. So how many of you have already failed your New Year's resolutions? Um, 
And even if you don't have a resolution this year, we know the feeling, right? You, you come up to January 31st, you're ready to go. You, you set your alarm on your phone for the 6 a.m., wake up, work out, you're ready, you're excited, you're like, I can't wait to get back in shape. Or maybe for you, it's like, hey, I, you know what? I'm going to read 20 books this year. And January 1st, you open up the first book, you're like, all right, if I just read 10 pages a day, this is going to be a breeze. And then it gets surprisingly harder as the year goes on, right? I mean, not even the year, just January. As January goes on, um, you start saying, I, I don't want to wake up at 6 a.m. anymore. Um, and you say, you know what? I'd, I'd rather watch Netflix than, than read a book. Why does that happen? Why does it happen where, you know, you can get so pumped up for something, so, so you know this is the right thing to do, and yet you say, I'm just not feeling it right now. Or for you who don't have New Year's resolutions, maybe uh, the holiday season was a little bit like this where you had the excitement of family time, right? Family's coming over. We're so excited to spend time with family. I can't wait. Um, you know, mom and dad are coming, brothers and sisters, grandchildren. And then you get to the point where you go, they have to go home soon, right? You say, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to get back to the comfort of being by myself or being with my immediate family. Why is it that it seems like our emotions are on our roller coaster? And then why is the hardest thing that takes place, at least for me, is when you come to church, you're in this setting, you hear about the love of God, you hear that God adores you, you hear that God is for you, you hear that God has provided everything for you, and you know it's true, you can feel it. And you're reminded of all the times that God has given you strength. But then you go home, and maybe your kids start fighting, your back starts hurting, you're stressed out about work on Monday morning, and you forget it. You just forget all about it. Why is it that our emotions can't stay in check? Why is it that our mentalities can't be right? Well, I think actually Psalm 40 doesn't necessarily answer why that happens, but Psalm 40 answers how we can overcome it. Because the author is dealing with the same stuff. One minute in the first half of the psalm, it seems like he's thankful to God. He's praising God. He's telling all the wonderful things that have taken place, that, that God's amazing. And then he gets into a point where he says, life's really hard. It's really difficult. It doesn't seem to be going well. God, I need you present. It, you, you seem distant. So as we look through this, I want us to look at two things. I want us to see that God is our help and that God is our deliverer. So first, God is our help. The first part of the psalm is broken into three parts. Our salvation, God's protection, and what we do in response. So first, our salvation. Look back at verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The very beginning of this psalm speaks of God's salvation for us. Everything the author is about to write and talk about is the fact that God has rescued him and has rescued us. It is all about the fact that he was in the mud and the mire and the muck. And we know what that's like to be in our lives, right? In the mud and the mire and the muck of stress and of sin, whether it's sin done by us or sin done against us, in which we say, our lives are crumbling around us. I have, I have no hope. I have no purpose. I don't know where I'm headed. 
and there's no firm foundation. And yet what we get to proclaim as believers is we get to say, God has rescued me from a purpose, purposeless life. He has brought me to a point where I get a higher ground, where I get a firm foundation, where I get to look and see what it is to live a life of fullness. That I get to say, I have a heart of celebration. That I get to call out to God and say, look at all the things that God has done for me. And the number one thing is, he has rescued me. He has rescued me from my sin. He has rescued me from the fact that I look for purpose in things that will not give me purpose. But instead, I get to go forward in this life and say, I'm serving the Lord. That God has saved us. That God has rescued us. That God has delivered us from evil. And we are able to trust him. And there is clearly a joy and there's clearly a celebration on the lips of David. There is an emotional love response to the truth of God's salvation. That we are freed from the slimy pit and we no longer search for footing on this world and the things of this world, but instead we find it in God and we get to stand firm. So first, we get to see God's salvation, that he is our help. And then second, we get to see God's protection. Because what does the author pray about next? Look at verses five and six. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have been pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And here's the thing. What we need to recognize is that David is writing this for himself, but who else is he writing this for? It's the nation of Israel. He's the king. See, the thing is, is that David is carrying the responsibilities of a nation. And what he's doing is he's proclaiming the salvation of God and proclaiming the protection of God, not only for himself, but who else? The entire nation. He looks and he sees the wondrous works of God and he remembers the protection that God has given, not only for himself, but for the entire nation. That God has done wonders. That God has had a plan from the beginning of time to bring him and his people to this place. And God's Protection for David is everything to him. And again, not just to him, but to his entire nation. And here's the thing is, I think for a lot of us, we know what that looks like now, right? We, we know what it looks like to want protection for others. I don't want just protection for myself. I actually want protection from other, for others. It's not just me, but it's for my family. I, I want to protect my family. And here's the thing is, is we actually get to say, wait, it's not just protection for me. It's not just protection for my family. It's protection for this church. It's, it's, that, it's that God's going to protect this church, and not just this church, but the church of Jesus Christ. And we get to say what wondrous works he has done. Because the temptation for us when we're going through a hard time is to say, I don't know if God's protecting me right now. And it's really hard to see. But if you extend that view, if you're able to extend the view like David did, where you say, wait, how has God protected me? And maybe it's hard to see that in the moment. But you say, how has God protected my family? And then if you extend the view even further, how has God protected my church family? I mean, just this morning I was looking at the stained glass. I really love the stained glass in the back. And right above it are little plaques of, of people who um, donated money for, for the stained glass. And it's one of those things where I get to look and say, look how God has protected this church. 
Look what God has done through this church. I don't, I don't even know half these names, and yet this is where God has brought his church. I can say there has been wondrous works done on the behalf of Christ through this church. Because I know it's not just stained glass. It's not just decorations. It's kids club. It's the ministries of the church. It's new Sunday school class in which God says, I'm going to continue to do wondrous works through this church. And in your, in your day-to-day life, you might say, it is hard for me to remember how God has protected me. But if you extend your view like the psalmist has, where he says, it's not just me, it's an entire nation, we can say, look how God has protected us. God is amazing. God says he is the God of the universe, that he does not require anything from us, that he does not say, I require you to obey my commands in order for me to protect you. But David even says, look, sacrifices you did not want. You wanted me, and you protected me throughout all of it. And our response when we hear that is to say, my ears have been pierced. God, I hear your truth. I hear your love. And I will stand here praising you from my heart. And so our prayer of thankfulness, we start with our salvation. We look at the ways that God has protected us. And now how does the first half of the psalm end? We get to see David's response. Look back at verses 8 through 10. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. What is David's response? He he looks and he sees God's salvation. He sees God's protection. And his only response is praise. Is praise and service to this God. And this is us too, right? When we, when we know of God's salvation, you know that you feel it. When, when, you are lit, when you are singing the worship songs, when you are hearing the prayers and you say, I remember God's salvation. I remember God's protection. The only thing I can do right now is praise him, is to talk about how great God is in my life. And David is going to go on with this unending praise for the Lord. And our response needs to be the same. Look what David says in this passage. I proclaim the righteousness in the assembly. I do not seal my lips. It's almost as if someone is saying to David, you know, you don't need to talk about God so much. Like you can, you can be, you know, it's enough. And yet David says, I can't. I got to keep talking about God. And the question for us is, is that us? Where, where we take the time day in and day out, to remember God's salvation, to remember the ways that God protects us, and where we go to work, and we go to school, and we we go amongst our friends and our neighbors, and which they say, how was your holiday? It was great. I went to an amazing Christmas Eve service, and I remember the salvation of God. And they say, you know what? You seem to talk about God a lot. Yeah, I do. (laughs) He's a big deal. (laughs) He's the biggest thing in my life. He's the one who rescued me from the mud and the mire and put my feet on solid footing. I also got a virtual reality headset. But no, like, like saying, no, I, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I cannot seal my lips. How can you ask me to conceal the love and truth of God and his salvation? The one who has saved me and protected me. How can you expect me to do anything else except praise his name? And that's the thing with Sunday mornings even. How can we not look forward to this time gathered together? Nothing, it's almost like we should say to ourselves, nothing will stop me from coming here to be able to praise God. 
Nothing will keep me from joining in the great assembly of being able to share with one voice, our God is a good God. I will continue to speak of the faithfulness of God. I will continue to speak of the salvation of God. God has rescued me, and he's given us protection. And how do we respond? We respond with praise. We respond with sharing about him. We respond by going out and telling others about the goodness of God because his wonders are too many to count that we just keep flowing out of what God has done in our lives. So how do we actually apply this to our lives? Well, let me ask you, does your heart feel this? Do you feel this? Have your ears been pierced by the love of God? Because my encouragement is, let's walk, take the time to walk through the prayer and feel the love of God. Recognize what he has done and respond in thankfulness. Respond to his salvation, to his protection, and respond with praise and proclamation. And the way that we apply this passage to our heart is we actually need to get our hearts to the same place that David's heart was at. One of deep thankfulness, one of deep appreciation, one of deep love for the Lord. And here's the thing, if, if you're not there this morning, maybe you're not there because you're not, you're not really sure about the love of God, you're not sure who God is, then, then let me encourage you, keep reading. This entire Bible is set forth to show us the love of God. See the love of God for you. But maybe you're one of those believers who says, I'm in a hard place right now. Then let me encourage you to start back where your faith started. What made your heart move before? What was the thing where you said, God has rescued me? What was that moment? What is your testimony? What is the places in your life where you can point and say, I remember feeling this. Go back to those places and remember what God has done. And I guarantee you that your heart will move again. And so this is our prayer of thankfulness. We start with our salvation. We look at God's protection and we proclaim the good news of our Lord. So the second half of the psalm, though, seems to change a lot because the question now comes for us, what if you don't have that joy that David has? What if you're on the other side of the fence where you feel beat up and broken down? And, and maybe you're sitting there, you go, Pastor, I, I know I'm blessed by God. I have my salvation. He protects me. But right now, I cannot see through the fog of COVID. I cannot see through the brokenness of my family, the stress of life, the exhaustion, the loss of a loved one, the personal sin that I'm going through, the struggles of a job. Well, we go in the reverse order that the beginning of the psalm had us going. When life seems crashing down around us, how do we reach out to God? How do we say, God, I am drowning and I need your help? Well, it's the three things. First, we look at what we do, then we look at God's protection, and then we look at God's salvation. What, what do we do most often when we're burned out, when we're tired, when we're weak, when we're broken down? More often than not, we sin. We've all, we've all done it before. Look, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and my mentality is not right, so I do things that I should not be doing because the temptation is just so strong to give up. We start to live a life that we're not called to. When we're burned out, we begin to give up. 
And we all know what, looks like, what giving up looks like in our own lives. For me personally, I know when, when I'm in the heat of an argument or when I'm mad at someone, the easiest thing is to just go, stop talking. I don't want to talk anymore. And it's not just because I need a break. It's not just because I need some distance. It's, I don't ever want to talk to you again. And in unrighteous anger, I shut the person out. What do you do? When you are broken, when you are burned out, what sin befalls you? When we sin, what are we called to do, though? We're called to do what David did. We confess our sin. Look at verses 11 and 12. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails within me. We all know what it means to have a failing heart. We've been overtaken by sin, and we cannot see. And that's such a big part of feeling distant and dark from the Lord. There's an old youth pastor that I, I used to uh, watch, and uh, he, he shared this story of that um, he not only dealt with youth, but he also dealt with college students. And he said, you know, when college students would come home, um, he'd meet with them. And uh, sometimes college students would go, kind of him and Han, go, you know, I really believed in God when I was home, but, you know, I've been to college. I, I, I studied philosophy and science. And, and, you know, I've been hanging out with some people. And um, I just don't know if I believe in God anymore. And, you know, the pastor would respond and answer some of their questions. But eventually the pastor would go, so what parties are you going to on the weekends? And who are you sleeping with? And the student would sometimes respond with wide eyes and go, who told you? Who told you I was doing those things? And it wasn't that anyone told him. It was just he knew that if they were steeped in sin, they would be blinded from the goodness of God, from God's love. It's not that God's love wasn't there. It's not that God's goodness wasn't there. It was just that they were blinded to it because of their sin. And this is the same with us. When we start to sin, we start to have a failing heart like David does, and we become blind. We cannot see. We cannot see. And what we start to say is, God, I, I don't know about your salvation anymore. God, I don't know about your protection anymore. I don't know about your goodness anymore. And my heart fails within me. So what are we to do? Well, we're to do what David did. In humility, we are to admit that we are blind. We are, we are admitting that we've sinned. We've done something wrong. A admitting that you cannot see something it takes great humility. And it's the same as David, where David says, it's my fault. He says, look, it, it says, I cannot see because of my sins. My heart fails within me because of my sins. So for us to go to the Lord and to say, I cannot see your goodness because of my sins. Because when, we're, when we sin, we are blinded to the goodness of God. So the first act of us, if we have a failing heart, if you feel like there's darkness around you, is to examine yourself and say, where have I sinned? Where have I failed? And actually be able to probably be like David and say, there are more sins than the hairs on my head that I, I know I sin this much. I know I fail to love God this much. I know I have failed the Lord. Because, and here's the thing, it, it, 
it is really difficult for us. Look, I, I've been a Christian for a while, and it is still hard sometimes to confess my sins. I don't want to do it. I don't want to admit that I've done something wrong. But let me encourage you, you've already done it once. <laughs> As a believer in the Lord, what was your first act in your relationship with God? It was to humbly come to him and confess your sin. To say, God, I need your help. I need your rescue. Do that again. Our first act of rescuing a defeated heart is in humility to come back to the Lord and hear of his salvation again. And this becomes the point in which our response to God and which he will protect us. What is so great about the psalm is the first part of the psalm is God saying, I have protected you. Look at these wondrous works. And the second half of the psalm is God saying, I will protect you. God has and he will. And what God's protection is on display in verses 13 through 16, and, and I'll say one of the lines here is, it says, Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. Everyone who is against me, have them turn away. I mean, what's so great about this is David starts off with this section saying, It's my fault. It's my fault that my heart is failing within me. It's my fault that I'm sin. And when you sin, what often do you think? God's not going to protect me anymore. God's not going to want his goodness for me anymore because I've messed up too many times. I've screwed up too many times. And again, even David says, there's more sins than the hairs on my head. And yet in the very next set of verses, what does David say? Protect me, Lord. I need your help again. I need, there are people who are against me and I need your salvation. And this fights against our temptation of works. It fights against our temptation of works because so often we think, if I do a good job, God will reward me. And if I do a bad job, God won't protect me. And yet, what is this saying in this passage? God's going to protect you. God's got you. God loves you, and God will watch out for you. Even though David says, my sins have overtaken me, God says, I got this. And in our pleading to the Lord, we can know that God will protect us even when we fail. He has, and he will. And so we see how we, when we plead to God, we see how he will protect us. And now look at the very last verse of the psalm. How does the psalm end? Verse 17. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. What is it saying? I am nothing. You are everything. Save me. Once again, what's so great about the psalm is it continues to bring us back to the salvation of God, to the love of God, to the mercy of God, to the grace of God. It brings us to the gospel over and over and over again that Jesus Christ died for us, that God has rescued us, that we are sinners poor and needy, and yet God is perfect and he has sent us a son to save us. And in pleading to God, when you are in a dark place in your life, when you say, I need rescue from my sin, I need rescue from people being evil against me, then it ends with what? Going back to God and his salvation of deliver me and save me once again. And here's the question for us. If God has delivered you when you were completely against, you, against him, will he not deliver you now? God rescued you when you were an enemy of him and brought you into his kingdom as sons and daughters of the king. And does not a king love his sons and daughters more than his enemies? God has given you eternal salvation. 
And not just then, not just at one point, but now and forever. And God has given you his wondrous works and his protection, not just then, but now and forever. And what we get to do is when we are in a hard place in our life, we get to cry out to God and say, once again, bring me back to your gospel. Bring me back to your salvation. Bring me back to your mercy and love. Show me again what it's like to be in love with you. But the question remains, how do we combine these two? Because David did not write two separate psalms here. He didn't write two separate prayers. This is one psalm. And in the same song, we have this joy and this passion and this thanks, thankfulness to God. And at the same time, we have this, my life is a train wreck and I need your help, God. So how do we put the two together? Well, what are the bookends to this prayer? It's our salvation. It's the gospel. And that is the thing that holds the prayer together. And, I, and the reason why it's the beginning and the end is because so often in our lives, what do we think is the most important thing? Whatever's taking place in the moment, right? We think the filler is the most important. We think that if God is protecting me now, then, I, then I'll feel better. Or, or if, if things are going bad, then I need to, I need to get better. I need, I need to overcome my sin. I need to make sure to be fighting against sin. I, I, I need to work harder. <laughs> and yet that's just the filler. What's the thing that holds these two prayers together? What's the thing that holds this psalm together is the fact that it is our salvation that motivates us. It is our salvation that trains our hearts. It's our salvation that tells us where we are to go next. The reason why we can respond to God in both thanksgiving and pleading at the same time is because of our salvation. Because we can say, God, I love your mercy so much. I love what you've done so much. And at the same time, I need more of it. <laughs> I need more help. For the rest of my life, I'm always going to need more help. And that's okay. That's okay. What's the biggest fear for a pastor is when a pastor says, how's your life going? And someone goes, great. Everything's fine. Really? <laughs> no. We all have struggles. We all have troubles. But that doesn't need to make our hearts fail. Instead, we can run to the Lord and hear of his goodness. And we can have a relationship with God and we can obey his commands and we can come here every Sunday praising him from our lips because we have a love for him and he has a love for us. When love for God dominates our affections, then sin begins to lose its power. Our emotions stay in check. Our mentalities stay in check. The love for God, the love for his gospel, the love for his salvation will be the thing that keeps everything together. That will be the thing that says, when times are good, I will praise God. And when times are bad, I will run to God. And we can see thankfulness and pleading put together in one prayer. And putting together, them together actually ends up not becoming that hard. Because we get to say, I see your salvation, and I want more of it. I see your protection, and I want more of it. I'm going to praise you, and at the same time, I'm going to call out to you. And we put them together. And both are true. This Christmas Eve, um, my mom came and visited. You might see her once in a while. And, and she's a crier. She cries all the time, especially in church. But Christmas Eve, she always bawls her eyes out. She's just crying. And uh, this Christmas Eve, we went home, and, and she wanted to tell us why. And she said, you know, the reason why I cry at Christmas Eve is I love the Christmas Eve so, service so much. 
it just reminds me so much of God's love. And I'm sure that's the same for all of you. I love the Christmas Eve service. It's, it's that magical moment where you just go, I, I, I see God has come as a baby to rescue me. How can I not praise the Lord? And yet she said, when you guys were little, me and my sister, Christmas Eve service was one of the hardest services of the year because I knew when the service ended, I needed to drive you to your dad's house and drop you off. And I would drive back home alone and spend Christmas Eve by myself. And she said, it was so difficult. And in those moments, I was pleading to God to love me, to show me his care, to show me his mercy. And she had both at the same time. She said, I, I recognize where God has brought me, that God has rescued me, that God has shown me his love, and now he's bringing my children along with me to hear of the salvation of God. And yet at the same time, she's pleading with God saying, divorce is really hard. Sin is really hard. And I need your help. You might be in that same spot right now where you feel both. You hear of God's love and at the same time things are going on where you go, God, I need your, more of your help. But because you have been saved, because you have been rescued, because Christ has died for your sins, you get to walk away from this knowing that you have done nothing, you will do nothing, and you can do nothing to separate yourself from the love of God. And when you realize that, you can both be joyous and sad at the same time, desiring God to continue to pour into your life. That you can be thankful and pleading in one breath, knowing that God has saved you and he will save you. That God has protected you and he will protect you. And that we get to praise God and plead with God all at the same breath. Now let us pray.